0: FM Breakfast Show with the double L team Lyle and Larson. Welcome everybody, you're listening on Faith FM 87, 6, 87, 8, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM Network, wherever you are. We're gonna do a bit of a, a special shout-out to some people from Koroa in New South Wales. From Devonport in Tasmania and Geraldton, the early risers over there in Western Australia. Special welcome to you guys Mm. and a shout out this morning. We are glad you are part of the Faith FM listening team.
1: And another special shout out to the world's newest member, Montgomery...
0: Montgomery James Southwell, born at about 8 o'clock yesterday afternoon. I am a grandfather again. Shell and I are grandfa- grandparents again. And he's amazing. That's awesome. He's, he's just absolutely amazing. He is. He's yes. huge and... Has like what nine pound or something or other? He has a big,
1: big round head and looks like he's going to beat me up. Like he's, but what a guy! I That's love him. Boy. That's my boy. I love boy. him. I, I actually commented that on the you know they put up the Facebook post and I'm like, your son looks like he's going to beat me up <laughs> because you know just just keeping the banter healthy. I, I
0: think he I think he probably would. I think actually,
1: would. no. Just to take a deep dive. So so whilst uh, you know. Eliza is in hospital. You know she's gone into labour, doing her thing. Uh, we have a group chat amongst us. You know, younguns amongst your sons and whatnot, um, where we send each other memes. And Harley's like posting memes on the group chat, and I'm like, bro, your wife is giving birth.
0: <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, 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 what do you <laughs> oh, it what was do? You do? So Millennials.
1: Funny. Oh, so funny. But yeah, oh, we love those guys, and we love that they've brought a child into the world. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
0: All right, let's talk about our breakfast show this morning. Let's look at what our first question for our quiz is. Okay, the first question for the quiz: To whom did Paul
1: become father in bond to imprisonment? Let me read. Let me okay. read that one more time. To whom did Paul become father? And then in brackets it says in bond to in. His imprisonment. 0491 064 669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you can go into the draw to win our incredible book for this week, which is Exodus, Myth or History by David Roll. We were spending some time in Exodus yesterday. And Essentially, I, I see Exodus as like well, Genesis as well, but because Genesis is written by Exodus, Exodus is probably like, is written by uh, Moses, who is, you know, has his origins within the book of Exodus. Exodus is probably one of the most pivotal books in the Bible, to know whether it's true or not. Uh, Because if Moses didn't exist, and it's all just made up, well then, like, the standard that we have within the Bible, that the rest of the Bible kind of, Standardizes itself too, which is those first five books, including the Book of Exodus. Uh, then, essentially, yeah, chuck it out. But this book is all about verifying those books and seeing a from archaeology, from Egyptology, from every single perspective. Like, what do we know? About Exodus. Anyways, if you'd like this book, 0491 064 669 is the number to call or text. And again, that question was, to whom did Paul become father in bond to in his imprisonment?
0: Fantastic stuff. So give us a call now if you know the answer. Lawson, what have we got for positively different news this morning? Wow. Did you hear the news? I heard lots of news. I heard the news that... uh I heard the news on my grandfather.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the only news I've been thinking of lately. <laughs> In fact, awesome. somebody texted
0: through. Let me see here. Janelle says, "Congratulations, Lyle and Shell, on the arrival of baby Montgomery, mm. your first grandson. He's gorgeous. Yeah, he is. Oh, he is. He's it's such a, an epic bloke. He's Absolutely
1: gorgeous. That's he's he's already a bloke. He's big enough to to claim it. I'm just like he's just, <laughs> he's just massive, and that's awesome. Hey, but the other news that's going on right now, this is like pretty pretty." I think, like, pretty world-shaking, to be honest. Not as world-shaking. Not as world-shaking as, you know, having a grandchild, obviously. No, but uh, India has just banned single-use plastics.
0: Did you know this? That is is massive.
1: Like That's really positive. So, they have banned drink bottles. They've banned straws. They've banned, well the place where it didn't go to where lobbyists ended up winning. Because when this decision was made and enforced, like, lobbyists from the Coca-Cola company, everything, were, like,
2: in... Freaking
1: out. Yeah, they were... Dude, they were in, like the
0: Indian parliament, like, going hardcore. But these developing countries are literally just awash with plastic. Yeah. They don't, have the, they don't have the disposal facilities we have to bury it and put it out of sight like mm. we do. We consume probably more plastic than they do, but we put it out of sight so we don't see it. Mm. Whereas in some of these developing countries, you know, countries that, like you and I have been in, it's just the, the whole countryside is just covered in plastic. That's right. And, and
1: uh, in India, I think more so than anywhere else. Like India probably has one of the
0: worst plastic pollution problems. Well, they've got a po- they've Earth. got a population that's a on on the on the verge of overtaking China as yeah. the world's largest population. So that equates to a lot of plastic. So. Basically, everything has been banned except for
1: plastic bags, but they're requiring plastic bag manufacturers to like make the bags thicker so that they can be reused. So yeah, be reused. that's right. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, they've just banned all of it and all the lobbyists are upset because they're like, you didn't give us time to prepare. Da, 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 da. They were trying to get straws, like, they were trying to like, oh, okay, you can take the bottles, but can we keep the straws? And then they're like, no. <laughs>
0: You know, human beings adapt. Mm. Human beings are the most adaptable people on the planet. I remember when we stopped using plastic bags uh, here in Australia for shopping and, uh, you know, just went and bought some cloth bags and now you keep them in the back of the car and when you go into the shops you grab your shopping bags and in Mm -hmm. you go and then you load it all up and it's just more efficient and there's, you know, you, you kind of forget that there was once a time when we used these single-use plastic bags and just littered the whole countryside.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think the struggle that they have in India, obviously, the population's really huge. How do you police that? How do you make sure everyone is not using plastic? And, like, what are they going to do if people do? And so, like, people who well, you are... You shut down watch- the,
0: the production and importation.
1: Yeah, that's right. But then they're thinking, oh, then there will be an illegal black market for plastic, for single-use plastic, the single-use plastic black market. They're a little bit worried about that taking place. Yeah, but we never got one of those in Australia, did we? Yeah, but I think, like, I think that's the point is, like, here in Australia, we have the ability to not do that. Whereas they're making a point in India, like, oh, but how are they going to transfer to anything else? Like, you know, there's so many people, and plastics like the cheapest and easiest way to be able to store goods and whatnot. So.
0: Human beings are inventive; they will survive. I agree. They have survived less. Yeah, yeah. Totally. For many years, for many, many, many thousands of years, for millennia, mm. India has done just fine without plastic bags. Mm. Just because they've had them for the last 50 years doesn't mean they can't survive without them. So I guess we'll see how this unfolds in a
1: year or so, whether we see like a great reduction and cleaning up of the already existing plastic and the lessening of it. That would be really good. I would like to go to India, but I think I'm always deterred from countries like that because of the plastic pollution problem. I'm just, I'm just like, there's it's not. It's just so sad. Whenever you go there, it's just so sad. I know. There's just nothing in my heart that makes me go, like, oh, yeah, I want to. Like, I think, other than if I was doing some kind of missionary work or something, like, yeah, obviously you go anywhere for that. But it, from a tourist perspective, like, really, like, honestly, in my heart, I'm just not keen to go to in, a place like India because of those kinds of problems and those kinds of issues I'm like oh, I'd rather spend my time somewhere else. So if they can overcome that well definitely I think there's a lot of people who probably feel the way that I do and it will just enable the country to be more accessible
0: to just get better and better. Clean up. Yeah. Yep. All that plastic that is floating around will eventually bury itself and disappear somewhat. Yeah. won't be as visible. Yeah. It'll go into you know the water system we will drink it we, we will, will eat drink it. it. <laughs> It's just how plastic goes. It becomes, it'll become <laughs> microplastics.
1: Yeah, but Such- at least
0: you won't be, at least you can't see microplastics.
1: Yeah, that's right, that's right. So then you know, still kind of comfortable with showing up yes. in India. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, another story that I have here. Oh, okay, this is this is really interesting about this is this is to do with archaeology and King Arthur and Stone Age, uh, Stone Age. Tombs and graves in which they're like, you know, having a look at well, essentially they've got basically there's a dig site, it's called Arthur's Stone. Even though like scientists date it like back to like four thousand years ago, they call it Arthur's Stone because they believe that what happened, like this this site itself existed for a long time, and then you have like the legend of King Arthur slaying a giant, and apparently the giant f- Fell on the stone. There's this big indent into the stone where, oh, okay. where the giant's yeah. elbow hit the stone, uh-huh. and they're like, "Oh yeah, that that happened." Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like that's how the legend goes, anyway. Yes, uh, but definitely. essentially, like this is an archaeological dig site in which they have never kind of disturbed or explored. It's kind of similar era to Stonehenge and whatnot, and like obviously they have the laws at Stonehenge that like you can't even step close to that thing because they don't want it to fall over. This is exactly the same. This is a bunch of rocks sitting on each other. It's actually. Remarkable. Like, there's this big, massive rock slab on top of all these other rocks. And it's like this rock slab weighs, like, hundreds of tons. Like, this is ginormous. How did they get it up there? Like, if this has been... A- because, actually, like, this site has been acknowledged as Arthur Stone since the 13th century. Like, it's not just, like, a recent thing. Someone dragged a rock up there and called it Arthur Stone. Like, they've known about this site for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years and they've always documented which is kind of like true of most archaeological sites in a place like england because it's so small but uh yeah now they're going to be digging in there because they they did do some initial digging and they found a few bones and a few tools and whatnot and they're like okay we're gonna really excavate this site and see what see what the deal is whilst trying to preverse, preserve it as much as possible
0: yeah they'll probably put it back how it was
1: yeah so i'm really interested to see the outcome and what they can find there and if they can find king arthur's sword or something i don't know <laughs> you're listening to the breakfast Joe podcast on faith fm Positively different.
0: So thank you, producer Shell. She does an amazing job of gun. putting all of our music together here and stringing the whole show together. She has more to say on this show than what you and I do.
1: Yeah, that's right. She, do, do Well, I think, I think we talk more than there
0: is songs. Yeah, probably, okay.
1: But still, still she's contributing immensely. And Tracy says,
0: congratulations, Shell and Lyle, on the birth of your grandson. He's adorable. I think there's some photos getting around on Facebook somewhere. Yeah, and they are cute. (laughs) They're awesome.
1: Hey, let's have a look at another clue for the quiz. Guys, this is actually a multiple choice to keep your ears open. God told the Israelites that a newly married man should spend the first year of his marriage doing what? A. Making his wife happy. B. Storing up grain. C. Having children. Or D. Going to war. 0491 064 669 is the number to call a text if you know the answer. And if you do, you can go into the draw to win Exodus, myth, or history. Do you want to know if one of the most pivotal books in the Bible is true or not? Well, you can give us a call, get your entry into the quiz, and potentially win this book that will reveal that to you. But again, that question was... God told the Israelites that a newly married man should spend the first year of his marriage doing what? Man, I really need to learn this. I need Yes, to, I need, to yes, prep you need up. the answer for this week. Okay, Do you have so the answer there in front a, of you yet? A, making his wife happy. <laughs> B, storing up grain. C, having children. Or D, going to war. And yes, I do have the answer in front of so me. So, you know what the answer is. I know what the answer is. I so know, you know what, what I to need do. to do. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. It's it's right there in front of you. Just and, and do it's, that.
1: And it's so hilarious because it's the most obvious one. It's Just do that. Just, just, just do that one just thing. Just keep doing that one thing uh-huh. and you're good. 491 64 I'll give you those answers one more time. A, making his wife happy. B, storing up grain. C, having children. Or D, going to war.
0: Okay. All right. If you know the answer, then give us a call. Let's talk about some more serious news this morning. and We're going to begin in uh, Sudan, in Africa. And uh, Sudan's sort of had a bit of a rough history. Well, a mm. very rough history. Back last year, October last year, they had a military coup which Mm. overthrew a civilian-led government. Mm. And the civilian-led government had abolished the death penalty for apostasy. So apostasy is basically when you change from one religion to another. Mm. So, for instance, Lawson, if you decided tomorrow that you were going to become a Hindu, you would be in apostasy from Christianity. Okay, yeah. Yes, But when you do Bible work and you study the Bible with somebody who is a Hindu here in Australia and they choose to become a Christian, then they are in apostasy from Hinduism. Mm. So the previous government in Sudan had an apostasy law in which it was illegal for you to change religion under penalty of death. Wow. You know, that's like the highest level penalty that you can have. This was seen as the single worst penalty Crime that could ever be committed. (laughs) And then this civilian government abolished the death penalty for apostasy Mm. and made it a criminal offense to accuse anyone of apostasy. That is a really good turn. That's a very strong turnaround. That's like a 180 degree change of direction. Uh huh. From where it's like, yeah, death penalty to. You're not even allowed to accuse somebody of that.
1: Okay, but is that also a negative thing? Like, if you say to someone, like, oh, hey, you're not living a biblical lifestyle, and then they're like, are you accusing me of apostasy? And then
0: you get thrown in jail? Oh, Lawson. You might have uncovered an unintended uh, problem with the legislation here.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because, like, ultimately, like, does this actually quell any kind of... You know, criticism of religion.
0: It seems that what you have highlighted there was not the intent of the law. Okay, okay, sweet. and so it would come down to how the courts actually interpret the law, but they could certainly choose to interpret that. Yeah, one, couldn't they?
1: nice. If if that was the intention of the law, then that would be really harsh and terrible. But I think just to like, you know, to make it a criminal offense to religiously persecute people. Yeah, then that's that's good.
0: Okay, but it seems that apostasy charges come back in. Uh, Of course, the military coup back last October, and now you've got part of a church that has uh, been arrested, uh, a whole group of them, um, and uh, it's been sanctioned by the Ministry Mm. of Guidance and Religious Endowments. They were asked to renounce their Christianity and agree not to pray, share their faith, or in any way show that they were Christians or face the death penalty. Mm. So this is a whole group from this one particular church. And the question is, you know, you think about your local church, you think about my local church, and let's say that there was a group from one of our local churches that was arrested as a group and we're told that we were not allowed to pray, not allowed to share our faith, not allowed to demonstrate in any way that we're Christians or face the death penalty. How would would your church members respond? Well, it would be
1: pretty heavy times. Like... How would they respond? Like would they continue to be Christian? Is that like yeah. the question? I believe so.
0: Okay, so these this particular group here in Sudan have uh, unanimously refused to abide by what the government has said mm. and now will be executed for that. Wow. So all I have to do is say, yeah, 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 okay, we won't be outwardly Christian, we'll just be inwardly Christian and they're fine. Mm. That's all they have to say. And they've gone, No, that's impossible, we'll die. Mm. Which is death. We would rather die than deny Jesus Christ. Amen. Think about yourself. Think about your local church. Think about if this happened here in Australia. There is, you know, the Bible says that these kind of things are coming to all developed countries uh, before Jesus comes back.
1: Yeah, it, it makes me think of uh, the verse in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through f- his faith, though he died, he still speaks. It's like, even though like these people uh, have been sentenced to death and may very well die, through their faithful witness of Christ. Like it still speaks to us, just like Abel's death speaks to us about his righteousness and faithfulness. So will these people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. All right, so there is more evidence out there that we desperately need a religious lib- a religious freedom, a religious anti-discrimination bill here in Australia. Mm. Uh, we weren't able to get it under the Liberal government. The Labor government has promised that they'll bring something to the table. Let's see what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. But you've got 11 schools that are part of the Christian Community Ministries Uh, which serve about 6,000 students across Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia and Western Australia who are now in all kinds of hot water because they have stated that in their documentation, God's intended best for humankind is that we live our lives in accordance with our biological sex.
1: Wow, controversial. (laughs) Yeah, and these schools are about to
0: be blown up for this big this is time so, so God's silly. intended best for humankind is that we live our lives in accordance with our biological sex. In other words they expressed uh, basic Christianity that every Christian has stood for for the last 2,000 years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now they are in all kinds of fight what they could be closed down for this really uh, their statement of faith says sexual behavior should be limited to monogamous heterosexual married couples once again. Basic Christianity. (laughs) And like statistically obvious as well. Yes. Oh, research behind this is conclusive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why is it? Why is it that you've got a whole bunch of lawyers and the media who are coming out shocked? Oh, we can't believe that this exists. Really? (laughs) (laughs) You're shocked by. On what planet have you been living? They're not shocked by this. They're not shocked by this at all. This is just mock shock so that they mm-hmm. can uh, create a, 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 an environment in which they can cancel these guys. Mm. Uh, the school also acknowledges the biological sex of a person as recognized at birth and requires practices consistent with that sex.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you've got the Queensland Human, human Rights uh, lawyer, Matilda Alexander, says she was shocked at how many schools were utilising the contract. Okay, so these are schools that you need to send your children to. Mm. So let me give them a shout-out this mm-hmm. morning. You've got, uh, in Queensland, you've got Chinchilla Christian College, oh, Christian shout Christian College, Endeavour Christian College, Groves Christian College, Livingston Christian College, Staines Memorial College, Warwick Christian College, Sunday Christian College, in South Australia, you've got Blake's Crossing Christian College, uh, Seaview Christian College. In New South Wales, you've got the Lakes Christian College. So there's some great selections for you. Mm. These are the schools and colleges we need to support because they are supporting biblical principles.
1: You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Blue for the quiz. Here we go. What was the result of the 10 day dietary trial? of Daniel and his friends. 0491 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you can go to... Our number, you can call in. Texas those numbers. Answers the que- answer the question correctly, and as a result, you can win Exodus Myth or History by David Roll, Getting into all of the evidence, all of the archaeology, all the Egyptology that we have regarding this topic, and seeing hey, was Exodus was it actually true? If you want to know about that, again, that number is zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. And that question was, what was the result of the ten day dietary trial of Daniel? and his friends. But right now, we have an interview with Jared Stackeroth.
0: Joining us on the phone this morning is Jared Stackeroth from Signs of the Times Magazine for a monthly update on what is happening with science Mag. Jared, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Lyle. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, we're always excited to hear what new articles are coming out in Signs Magazine. What have you guys been writing about for this month?
2: July is a great issue of Signs. I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's good. We've got a very powerful testimony. I think we spoke last month a little bit about how we're trying to find these really good stories about people's lives, real people, and the one this month is about Benita, who she had a lot of mixed emotions about her upbringing. She had some challenges as she was a child, and that led her to depression and substance abuse, and she came out of that, which... We praise God for, but her story is just an amazing one. She points to God as the the person who who healed her and helped her to find a, a community, find her husband and her family now, and and just turn her life around. So we won't give too much away because we'd love you to read the story. But yeah, it's a really really exciting to to hear stories like Benita's and to be able to share them more widely.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things where there are so many people out there who can relate to it coming from, you know, all kinds of different circumstances. Some of them not such low socioeconomic circumstances or, you know, an abusive environment, whatever it might be. And they get trapped into these different cycles of destruction and cycles that really drag them down. It's important for us to be able to share stories of god's power to be able to turn these these people's lives around and to bring them full and complete healing Mm -hmm. okay so we'll try not to give too much away there jared because that sounds like it's a very powerful testimony we'll encourage all of our listeners to head over there and to actually read that story for themselves and uh, what else are some of the major articles that we have in science magazine for july
2: well, one of our fairly recent um, staff members that we've added on the team, Zanita, she wrote about the science of dining. And apparently eating at your dining room table can change the world.
0: Really? Okay, so, so we, often think about, we often think about different <laughs> ways that we can change the world.
2: I'm actually excited by this. I can change the world by eating. Tell me about this. Yeah, look. Zanita looks at some of the benefits, and there are studies behind some of what she's sharing and history behind it, but basically she talked about how even Christians in the early Roman days, you know, the early days of the church, would eat with their neighbors and they'd invite, sometimes undesirables, those that society saw as not very high of status, and they would invite them over, and as we know, the early church really revolutionized through the roman empire and and beyond and so it did change the world but just some of the benefits mentally physically of eating together um taking time whether it's with your family whether it's with those who are your friends and your neighbors whether it's with people as Anita shares a, a really neat story about um inviting one of the attendants from her local 7-Eleven over for a meal. They were having a meal nearby with some friends and invited him to, to come after so he finished his shift. And and just, yeah, a lot of benefits from eating together.
0: That's absolutely astounding that, you know, you pick a random person like the, uh, the guy working at the 7-Eleven and say, yeah, come and have a feed with us. But Very, very powerful because, you know, just as you were sharing that, I'm thinking about the ancient world, and the ancient world was very divided by class. Every society had all of their different levels of, of class, and they were, you know very divided from each other, but you've got Christians who are breaking th- breaking those barriers down. Today, class is not the issue that it once was. Of course, it still exists, but it's not the issue that it once was. And it seems to me that if we were to research this from a historical perspective, that change began with Christians breaking down those walls.
2: Mm-hmm. Breaking bread together and, you know, she's got a quote in her article from a theologian and professional chef and it says, it is through the daily practice of the table that we live a life worth living. At the table, we learn what it means to be a family, how to live in responsible, loving relationships. It's just a nice idea. It's a simple idea that we can all do more and we've been a little disconnected through the pandemic and things like that and somewhat missing some of these social opportunities just to hang out and to eat together or even as a a family you know we've had our working from home setups all over our dining table and so we haven't eaten together my wife and I or our our young toddler we haven't sat around the table as much and eaten together in the same way as we would have perhaps before COVID so yeah it's a good reminder I think for all of us. Food
0: is one of those international languages too. Everybody speaks the language of food. It doesn't matter whether you can't communicate using words because somebody else speaks a different language. You share food together. You instantly feel a bond with that person, don't you? Definitely. I'm super excited about this and I want to read more of it, how we can change the world at our dining table. Fantastic stuff. All right, Jared, tell us about another one of the uh, articles that you've got there.
2: Perhaps, Lyle, if we're thinking about God speaking to us, we might think of the thunder or or a, a loud, deep voice like in the movies. But there's an article about that still small voice, that quiet voice that sometimes speaks into our minds and, and just in a very, you know, interesting story. um, The author shares about a young girl who was camping and she was walking through the bush. She wanted to go to the toilet and she felt an impression. She had this small, tiny, quiet voice telling her, go that way, don't go that way. And so she, she ran back to the campfire and her dad, got a torch and, and went looking, and there was a, a death adder, which is a very dangerous Australian snake, right in the the path right where she would have gone. God's voice isn't always so dramatic and, and so obvious, but this author, um, Daniel Mateo, he just explores some how we can hear God's voice and how we can know that it's God's voice. And does God still speak to people today? Did God stop in sort of Bible times just speaking to people? And and they had miraculous experiences of God, but we don't in this modern world. It's just some good reflections on how we can still listen and maybe even pick up that still small voice.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's one of those subjects where God God is speaking to us all the time. We're just not always listening.
2: Right, and many, yeah,
0: and many times when God speaks to us, even when we hear it, we don't actually recognize yeah. it as the voice of God but, mm. you know God speaks to us through our conscience. I mean, when was the last time that your conscience told you that something was bad or not to do something? That's the mm-hmm. voice of God yeah. right there, and we just often don't recognize it as being that, and as a result, we're not practiced at listening. I think it's important to practice to practice listening to the voice of God, and because yeah. the, more, the more we listen to it, the more we will recognize it.
2: And just on what you're saying, it's just made me think that, you know, we don't always recognize that We don't always know what to expect from God's voice. Sometimes we expect God to be sort of saying things that we might like to agree with or, or, yes. or the, you know, if we're not as, if we don't know God's character really well, we might think that God might speak in such a way as those who claim to represent him might speak. It's very important to know, I guess, God's character and what he might be saying because sometimes he's saying very unexpected things that we don't always pick up on because we're not we're not anticipating him to say those things.
0: Yes, that's right. We we bring our preconceived ideas and our culture uh to God and it's like, well if God doesn't agree with our ideas and with our culture and with our particular ideology or our view of the world, then this is, you know, God's not going to be speaking and we can miss hearing the voice of God when God wants to challenge us from time to time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. with what has, you know, these rusted on beliefs that have been a part of our system that we grew up with it, but it's not necessarily what is truth. For sure. Jared, let's talk about one more article.
2: Okay, well, we've got a little bit of stuff around NAIDOC. It's been NAIDOC Week celebrating Australia's Indigenous Torres Strait Islanders and Aboriginal peoples of Australia. So we've got some information in there about what NAIDOC is and why we've got Benita is actually an Indigenous woman as well, a testimony that we talked about earlier. So there's some great opportunities to share this magazine, maybe with some Indigenous friends and neighbours. I got an email this morning. Someone's already received their July issue, and they've gone and shared it with some people in their town who they know will appreciate it. And in that note, we've got a, a historic life, a historic figure, Sir Doug Nichols, who was an early... AFL footballer he was an indigenous man and he was also at some point the governor of South Australia but he was also a pastor he was a reverend and he did a lot for footballers for indigenous folk for the church as a man of God a man of culture he was really important to the people one of one of the quotes in the article said so yeah really fascinating biography of a man who contributed to Australian society in a really big way, and it just tied in nicely with the NAIDOC that's happening here in July.
0: Yeah, and I think this guy is an absolute inspiration. We covered his story last year, probably around about this time last year, here on Faith and Faith in in one of the interviews of the day. And uh, an unsung hero in many ways, somebody that we need to know more about as a part of our Australian history. So... Mm. If it's something that's catching your mind, you know, you could go back through the archives and and find that interview where we covered the history of this individual. But, hey, I'm just thinking it's a whole lot easier to head over to Signs Magazine and check it out there. How would we go about doing that?
2: If you visit signsofthetimes.org.au, you'll find that article and and many others that are really good reads.
0: Okay, so that's signsofthetimes.org.au and you can head over there, you can read the articles. If you get the paper version, which is so much more convenient because the batteries don't go flat, uh, (laughs) which is what I love about paper, you know, take it on, I I recently took a train journey and uh, had all of this work that I was going to do until I suddenly realised that the train lines don't actually follow where the mobile service is and that I wasn't going to get a whole lot done and so I ended up pulling out my book that was made out of paper, you know, the old style, and the country uh-huh. didn't go flat and it didn't require any service to download. It was just a book in front of you. It's amazing how those things work. So you can get the paper version as well, signs of the times.org.au. That's where you can find how you to sign up can for the paper indeed. Version. And the other That's thing with the correct. paper version is that it is so much easier to share in a tangible way. You know, I don't know about you, Jared, but if somebody sends me a link well, in my job, I get so many yeah. people who send me so many links. It's just not the same as when somebody hands me a book.
2: That's right. That's right. And maybe that should be our new advertising slogan, The Batteries Won't Go Flat, is our magazine. It doesn't, <laughs> so at-
0: doesn't require any <laughs> mobile service and the batteries don't go flat.
2: <laughs> that's right. So you can get all of that um, and the podcast at signsofthetimes.org.au.
0: Jaros Dakaroth from Signs of the Times, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM. Thanks,
2: Lyle.
0: That was Jaros Dakaroth, editor of Signs of the Times magazine. We'd encourage you all to head over there, signsofthetimes.org.au.
2: Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.